Hey everybody, it's Blake. And this is Drew. And you're listening to the Lock, Stock, and Two Smoke Controllers podcast. Hey everybody, today we're going to, we're actually recording on Thanksgiving, well Thanksgiving morning I guess, we're doing the family stuff later, but we thought what a better time than to talk about two games that are about family, maybe one more than the other. First of all, we're going to let Blake talk about <laughs> Darksiders 3, which if you follow that storyline at all, it's just about the, the horsemen of the apocalypse, and they're a family I guess. There's four siblings. Four siblings, I'm sure they get together occasionally. <laughs> Eventually, to celebrate the ending so, of all mankind. Yeah, so we'll let, uh, I'll let Blake take the reins on this game because I, I, uh, I only like Darksiders one. I really thought they botched it with Darksiders two, so I didn't even touch Darksiders three. So this will be mostly Blake with me chiming in here and there. I know nothing about this game besides what I occasionally walked in on what Blake was playing, and then every now and then he told me some stuff about it. All right few quick things before we get started. Its developer was Gunfire Games. The founder for Gunfire Games is a fellow named David Adams, and he originally worked for Vigil Games, who worked on the first yeah. one. And the second one. He didn't work on the... Oh, well. Well, Vigil made the first two games. But Gunfire Games actually worked on the HD remaster of the second one. So he got to rectify any errors he did. Well, he can't fix the disaster that was designed in that game. The only flaw in that one was the stupid loot system. The writer for this game, who I found out after the fact, is a collective known as Man of Action, which a lot of people may know for a lot of their work they do on Cartoon Network. Three big ones being Ultimate Spider-Man, Generator Rex, and then the entirety of Ben 10. All of it. Even the new crappy one? Unfortunately, that terrible art. So, but I thought that was pretty cool to, to find out their story. Too bad the story wasn't super great. I mean, are any of the stories on any of those things ever great? Any of their work ever great? Like, necessarily, that's like passing. The first one was good. The second one got better. And this one... Well, I meant the man of action is writing. Oh. All their stuff is kind of just okay, isn't it? Well, I don't know anything about Generator Rex, but we enjoyed Ultimate Spider-Man. We thought it was fun. Yeah, and Spider-Man, I, how hard is it to write a Spider-Man story? Wow. But I liked the first things of Ben 10. Then it, they started taking uh, easy ways out instead of going, oh, there's magic. Oh, it's not magic. It's actually an alien that controls something energy. And I was like, well, you could have just said magic instead <laughs> of... But they had to try to make it more about aliens. But anyway. Mm-hmm. In Darksiders 3, we're following Fury. She's the only sister, only female of the horsemen. She has a bit of, we'll say, an anger issue and problems with authority. Because when we pick up the story, she is literally, it looks like a vast wasteland. <laughs> and the way she talks throughout the story is she she hasn't had anyone. Is, she telling, is this a frame story? Is she telling a story? No. She explains that the only friend she has 
is her horse Rampage. And she she feels that her brothers are jealous of her because she's so strong and the charred counselor fears her and that's why they shoved her off in the middle of nowhere while I don't know much about Strife but both War and Death had bigger jobs. War being the leader of the horsemen. Okay. And Death doing other things. Neither one of them seemed the jealous types. I mean, I played all of Darksiders and War never seemed jealous of anything and then uh, what little I know of Death from his game I don't think they gave a crap what she was doing. No, uh, this is all self-actualization. Most most of her story, though she helps, is a lot of self-actualizing for her. Realizing, oh, I'm wrong in just about everything I think. The story is... Well, well it's first off... Well, where is it chronologically for the other two games? Chronologically, it takes place before and then during one. Okay. Didn't two kind of do that same thing? Well, two was current events and then sequel. Okay. Kind of thing. And I don't know what to expect out of the fourth one. Because there may be one. After Genesis happens? Yeah, it sold well enough for them to make the spin-off Genesis, which you and me are super excited about if you listen to the last one, Battle yeah. Chasers. Because they're doing it. Yeah, because the Airship Syndicate developers of Battle Chasers got their hands on, uh, I guess we're offered the chance to make Dark Side of Genesis, which is cool because of the lead guy for Airship Syndicate is Joe Mad, who is the original artist and everything for Darksiders. I art developments for everything for yeah. Darksiders. But this game takes a, from almost from the get-go, it takes the exact opposite approach of Darksiders 2. Because uh, Darksiders 1, you're running around, and about halfway through, you get uh, War's Horse. I forget its name. And then you're allowed to, you, it opens up to much, like a bigger world, yeah. the second half. Deaths, they let you know from the get-go, this is a much bigger game than... The first one, by giving you Death's Horse from the get-go. Ruin? Whose Ru- horse is Ruin? I think War is Ruin, and then Death's is Pale Horse. I don't oh, know. No. I should have did looked into that, but I know hers. Because as soon as you start two, you have Death's Horse. You can just click on the thumbstick, and you're good to go. Hers, I think at the first... No, you do the prologue. And then at the second boss, it makes a point that during the cutscene with the second boss, her horse comes riding in, she summons it, or I think it comes to help her or something, and it's skewered from like nine different angles from a bunch of spears and swords, and it just dies. And you and she's like, she has, I mean, it's a heartfelt moment for her, because that's been her only friend for the last couple of eons, she talked to him and etc. And then it just fills her with rage and fury, and she whoops the crap out of this next boss, even though he had nothing to do with it, he just happened to be the closest thing to you. But it lets you know right there that this is a much more contained world. Yeah, it was a much smaller game, a much smaller budget, a much smaller team. Like the, I think the amount of people on this was like sixty. Yeah, well, size of the team, you'd be surprised at the size of games people can make with the size of teams. But there's definitely a, uh, they were till from the beginning it's going to be a smaller scale game because Darksiders was a big deal when it first came out and I think THQ back then was throwing a lot of money at it. Maybe too much money since THQ died, but THQ Nordic was here for this one. Yeah. Because that uh, THQ Nordic actually, ha- I think they own the rights, the IP. I think for they Darksiders. got it back. Fine. I think it was in the. Well, Nordic bought it before they had changed their name to THQ Nordic when they absorbed a lot of THQ employees. Yeah. But still, results in a. Cause before THQ died, it had a lot of money. I, I, I'm not sure if THQ Nordic's rolling in the dough, but they're still they're not competing on the EA Activision levels. But they are buying up a lot of stuff and putting on a lot of cool games that people didn't think were ever going to happen. We can say that they're. Um... Well, the underdog right now. Yeah. 
and they're being uh, smart with their money. They're buying small studios and being like, you guys keep doing you, but if you need help, we're here to help. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what they're doing. And like, if someone gets behind, they're sending people from other projects to help them get up and stuff like that. So I think they're, they're at least working together. I think if you're a fan of Darksiders, you know, they're, uh, whoever runs that company is entirely to thank for Darksiders even continuing. Because Darksiders after two, with the death of THQ and the dissolving of Vigil, Darksiders was a dead franchise, yeah. and THQ Nordic brought it back. So, so we'll get again. Most of her story is a, a lot to do with her uh, self-realized and self-actually that like she's been lied to by other people putting thoughts in her head and stuff like that. Not like just different perceptions of which... like the Chard Council's yeah. constant lies and manipulating. Mm-hmm. And the game starts is you hear the horn, of course. You hear, you hear the call. And she falls to Earth. And when she falls to Earth, she's immediately taken by the chart council she I, I think you fight a few fights and then she's like what is happening i don't see my brothers and then she's summoned before the chart council where you find war who has been shackled and being accused of treason for starting the apocalypse the armageddon apocalypse mm-hmm. early and if you remember the story from one at all it's a setup job it's a frame from outside sources mm-hmm. angels and demons working in cahoots to try to Start a war. Yeah, because the whole point is they want Earth, and the only thing they're like, we have to, you know, wipe out the humans, get a slave race, etc., because humans are worthless and useless. And so she's called before because one of the things that escaped from the council during the precursor to the Armageddon mm. is the seven deadly sins escaped their imprisonment. And Fury's charge from the council is to. Defeat and reca- defeat the physical bodies and recapture the soul slash spirits of the seven and bring them back to the council for imprisonment. There's your seven bosses for the game. Yes, and I'm not going to go through all the bosses. You know the seven deadly sins. You yeah. know, etc. Do they? So you, if people know that the the four horsemen of the apocalypse have their names. That this the dark siders has shuffled the names around and changed the names. So we know that like like a we have war and death, which are standard. Yeah. Supposed to be pestilence and famine, but they changed them, I guess. To fury and strife. Strife, I don't Which, mind so much. I think it's lazy. I'll, I mean, we, we, we talk about this outside of the podcast. I think it would have been very interesting is, is they wanted each game to be kind of different, but um, if they would have, of course, the game after two, it, the, the whole thing died. I think Fury is kind of covered in wars, kind of yeah. everything. What he does is war and fury. That's, that's good. But I, mean, I wish they would have taken the chance of trying to make a game around pestilence and make a game around fame, and they could have done, they could have been more. Creative, creative, or more magically based, since this war is so physical, and Death is a pretty physical character. I always thought they'd done Death too early yeah, yeah. in the franchise. They should have mixed it up, and it would have been Death should have been either the third or the last. Third or the last, so they could have done a physical character like War. Then Famine and Pestilence could have been more, for well, another word, more magic-y based characters who weren't so so physical and just ooh, in combat, more like throwing things around. You imagine, yeah, start like. Well, how you fight? Are you famine on enemies and you just drain the life out of them? Or doing other things and pestilence is easy. That's throwing all kinds of all all the different kinds of pestilence. Any, yeah, any sort of insects, bugs. Yeah, any that's sort not. Of- it's not. It's terribly difficult. But they might have thought about it and been hard. But using fury and strife is just. I mean, fury is just a physical character. And if you've seen strife at all. I think you see him in some of the other games. If you see his trailer for Genesis, he's just a guy that shoots guns. Yeah, guns is different. Guns is different, but I feel like they could have 
I don't know, I always hate when they, because the four horsemen of the apocalypse have been in all kinds of different games and shows and whatever, storylines, and the people. some people use the correct ones, and then some people change them like this, and I think it doesn't help the Darksiders franchise, but then this leads me back around to wondering when Blake said that we know the seven deadly sins, but did they change any of them to fit themselves, to make it easier on themselves? Everything, seven deadly sins, everyone's name was the exact same except for one. And they only changed the name. They changed it from greed to avarice. I assume only because avarice sounds cooler than the word greed. Yeah, it means the same thing. Yeah. And I'd have been okay if they did that with famine and pestilence. I'm sure there's another synonym or a synonym. Yeah, but famine and pestilence sounds so cool. Sure, they (laughs) they can. Sounds better than fury and strife. I mean, I'll never be over this, but they've gone too far now. They'll never change it. Yeah, I don't mind strife but fury definitely shouldn't have been fury but then they wanted i guess hell hath no fury like a woman scorned and that's it and that's also why she's a woman they also didn't want to be sexist i guess yes i don't know there's stuff behind closed doors that we'll never know about why they picked those so seven deadly sins the main goal of the whole game yes is to capture recapture the seven deadly sins and as you go through shortly you start the game off in the prologue. You fight the weakest of the seven, which is Envy. You just... It makes sense to be envious of all the stronger... Yeah, you just wreck forces. her back and forth. All, I will, all the art design is amazing. Oh, so we mentioned earlier with, with Joe Mad, They do... Dark Thunders 3, duh, even though he's not involved as far as you can just see him in the credits. I didn't see him in the credits. But they do stick with Joe's art they style. They were loyal to his art direction. Yeah. as best they could be without him actually being there. Yeah. The best way, I'm not going to describe all of them, I'll give you a brief description. The best way to describe Envy is if you're familiar with the Dark Crystal at all, she was a green Skeksis. <laughs> like, that's really what she was. And she was, talk like this, man! And she was, it was, <laughs> yeah. One of my bigger complaints for the game, though, even from, like, the very beginning, is the sheer difficulty. Yeah, I read about this in a, in a couple of places. And, uh, I mean, I wasn't planning on playing the game anyway, but everywhere I read about this game, everybody was like, why is this so difficult for no, for absolutely no reason? I played through on story mode, which was, le- like, it's like lower two or on three the tiers scale down from easy. easy. Yeah. Because it literally goes, like, you know, easy, normal, hard, and then from easy, there's beginner and story. I'm like, I'm going to play on story because I want to have a good time. And I, I want to watch the story. I died in the prologue with regular enemies like these little zombie skeleton things mm-hmm. and I'm like what is happening uh, you want to explain the how, difference in the combat system of the three games maybe well yes in the first one it's more along the lines of Zelda yeah of course you know it's a kind of slower base and you have small groups of enemies but you're not getting swarmed you, you fight a bunch of stuff and you have your plethora of tools to like, oh, I'll throw the boomerang out and the portal gun and then start beating and shielding. And deaths in Darksiders 2 is very much speed action combat. Because he just combos and twirls his gauntlets and maces and scythes. And it, it's full-blown combo. This one, they had two combat systems. They had classic and new one. I forget the name of it, but I was like, that sounds terrible. I'm not going to play that way. So I played the classic version. I didn't know those two combats. Yeah. Combat, which made it closer to one and two, and then its own separate system. You think the game would have been better if you played in the new system? No, because it made it fight it like a third person over the shoulder thing. And I was like, I don't want to do that. So I was switching like, to classic. Like the new God of War game? Yeah. Except not good? Probably. Did you try it at all? No. I didn't like it. I was like, no, I'm just going to stick with the how the other two were. 
I'm supposedly, not... even though it doesn't still doesn't play that way. Yeah, and your primary weapon for Fury is a is, is a whip chain. It's, I mean, it's a pretty cool weapon, but it does something weird because as you progress through the game, you get these different hollows. Well, let me clarify this. After beating the second boss, you are interrupted with an outside party known as uh, the king of the hollows or the hollow king and he is about he is something outside the system of everything people are weary of him and think he's a weirdo and a freak Mm -hmm. but what the hollow does is he demonstrates in the very first time you meet him is he's about balance and neutralization which in his mind is the same thing and he summons fury that automatically shows how powerful he summons fury to him and when she gets there he holds his hand up and she he makes her be quiet while he shows her what he can do. During this endless war of angels and demons and mankind, Angel and a demon walk down these stairs, turn and walk towards him. And then he speaks, he's like, Are the parties here of their own free will? Do you know well, she clearly wasn't. You no, know, she's not talking he's talking to the angel and the demon that walked down the staircase. Oh, okay. And the angel and the demon said, Yes, we're here of our own free will. We are tired and don't want to be a part of this war anymore. We wish to be a part of the balance. And he tells him, he beckons him to step forward. As they step forward, he's like, they hold their hands out, one on top of each other. And he's like, for love, for, not for love, but for the ability to get along and maintain and get balanced with each other, he then uh, turns them into nothingness. He negates their existence. But they could only do it if they wanted to do it together. It has to be an angel and it has to be a demon. They have to come together, come to him, and they cease to be. While they do that? They're tired of fighting because they know it's a pointless fight and that they don't want to be a partner and they'd rather just not exist because it's stupid because it's all it is is let's fight and it's just, it's just constant back and forth back and forth and nothing ever moving forward and like I said, this is also a precursor to what war and death are going through to try to help circumvent some things yeah. and make things better and so he is also out he is angry at the Chard Council because the Chard Council is basically the ruling party and they want to rule, but they can't rule if angels and demons are there too, but the Hollow King doesn't want them ruling or anyone ruling because he's like, they're all bad, so there should be no ruling party if they're all terrible. <laughs> and so the Hollow King, after he takes, he negates the uh, these this angel and their demon, he takes what essence is left over and forms it into what you'll get is called a hollow, mm. which hollow king, hollow, whatever. But through the first part of the game, all you have is an X attack. Most combat games, you have X for fast and Y for heavy. You don't get your first heavy attack until you get your first hollow. Yeah. And because your hollow attack, your Y button, is based off what hollow you have equipped. And each hollow has a distinct different weapon type and or element. And you got... From the get-go, you have your whips. Also, each hollow allows you to have a uh, like a puzzle-solving and or traversal ability that lets you get further in the game and so on and so forth. The first thing is just your whips. Your traversal ability is just being able to double jump, which is pretty good from the get-go. And then your second hollow is the flame hollow. It gives you these uh, flails, which are real similar to your chain, except for you're dual-wielding them. It allows you to burn away like 
cobwebs and like just these giant webs from these demon insects and stuff that block your path and when you do it it'll burn up and bring treasure down and stuff like that she also has a double jump but it's better because it's double jump explodes and then you can hold the a button down to a charge thing and launch up to real high things as well as everything you still have uh, like a whip indiana jones whip swing so no matter what you're in, just because she has the sure, whip. Are you doing that the entire game? You do a good, swinging everywhere. A good chunk of it. Your next hollow fire, and then your next hollow is uh, the lightning. The traversability I found on this one to be fairly limited because you can only do it in certain areas. And these little cyclones, but it makes you real light, and you jump to the cyclones, and it shoots you up up a tree or shoots you over a huge gap. And for the most part, I only ever did that because there were treasures involved. I, it didn't really seem to be story based. Never part, of, never part of the main path. Yeah, the lightning weapon is spears, and those are pretty cool. She can chuck lightning spears, or she charges it and then shoots out a big blast of electricity in a direction, and that was pretty fun. The third hollow is the uh, they call it stasis hollow, but it's just ice. I, I don't know why they use the word stasis. I mean, you cryostasis and you freeze things. Stasis sounds cooler than ice, I guess. It was probably one of the cooler ones I felt. Cooler, really? Well, shit. Whatever. Uh, but it allowed, because its weapon wears dual daggers that you can slam together to make a giant broadsword. Mm -hmm. And so with the, the dual daggers, you could actually, it allows you to wall jump. And that was puzzle solving and actual progression in the story. The other thing that I, I found out that was really fun is she's much lighter in stasis form than anything else, and she freezes water when she walks on it. It looked cool. Uh, it actually looks really cool. And not only is I can walk in a big circle and freeze it, and it stays frozen for a, a second longer, because part of the puzzle was I had to, we had to hot swap from stasis to flame and then do a rocket jump off the middle of a frozen pond to get to like some treasure or get further up and that was a pretty cool combo and your final one was called the force which was like gravitational force magnetic forces just called force hollow and it's a giant hammer just knocking the crap out of everybody the other traversal thing for that is i actually had to use it a few times because at one point you're fighting this thing they called it the Tempest. It's this giant tornado that's just going through, slowly erasing a part of the world a little bit by little bit. It's just called the Tempest. I think it's some something biblical, but I don't know anything about that. <laughs> I have no idea. But I remember you talking about the Tempest, but you, and you thought it was in reference to something. You just I, yeah, I don't. I'm not that biblically versed. But if the Tempest. Because you have to go through these, uh, during that particular whole area, you have to go going through these subway tunnels, and if the Tempest is over you, he kind of sucks everything up in the room you're in, including you, unless you're wearing Force. And it's instant death. <laughs> unless you're wearing Force. And yeah. then with Force, it's just kind of like wearing the Iron Boots and Zelda, where you walk heavily across the thing while the, the wind is trying to pull you up. And that was kind of cool. And if you have to do any of the uh, water-based puzzles, which you have to do a lot with going through... Uh, I think it was gluttony. There's a lot of underwater stuff. And that having force equipped, it lets you just sink down to the bottom. You just walk across the floor. Four horsemen can't drown, apparently. Yeah, they just have infinite lung capacity. It, it didn't even tell me or warn me. Yeah. It was just I, don't think, of, I don't think it did in the first Dark Knight either. It's kind of like, here you go. Like, yeah, these horsemen, they're not going to drown. That'd, that'd be stupid. And for the most part, I enjoyed all the weapons. I, however... With the extremely difficult combat... Yeah. I stayed usually as the Flame Hollow because it was the least situational traversal ability. 
you can double jump in the air and hold Y, and it would do this charge thing, would hit the ground and explode with fire, and it would actually go for enemies guarded like mofos all the time, of course. But it would break through the guard a lot, and if it didn't break through the guard, it would catch them on fire and do additional damage while I could try to do other things. So it, for me, was the most versatile in combat. And like, yeah, ice and stun, or ice and lightning would stun them. I just found the fire to be more versatile. The hammer was fun for breaking through defense. Yeah. But you did have to charge it, and if someone hit you, it knocked you out of your charge. And sounds obnoxious. Couldn't jump for anything, as you can tell. So fire for me was just the most versatile. You also have uh, upgrades to all the weapons, and you have the little. So what was what's the currency in the game? Souls. Souls. So mm-hmm. The currency was souls that you were getting, and you also had to. Use, it, was, it was really annoying. Well, actually, not really. I think they took a thing from Dark Souls because currency is also what uh, you required to level up. Yeah. Because they did do a level up system. Uh, max level was ninety nine. I didn't make it that far. I got kind of high 60s, but I read online before I started making any decisions because I didn't want to make the wrong decision. Or I wanted, really, I wanted to see if I couldn't break my character because I was having so much difficulty. Mm-hmm. I was like, let me break the character from the get go and start going down a path where I'm, you know, god tier or deified. Horseman tier. Exactly. But everything I found was like, well, there's no. Everything has a soft cap. And there's no point in doing more points. Because you have three stats. You can do health, attack, and magic. I forget what they're actually called, but that's what you had to do. Yeah. Your physical attack was your X button. And your um, basically your X button in any form you're in. Because you're using the whip. Health was your health. And then your mana magic bar was entirely on how much damage your hollows did. Your Y button did. As well as you would have a bar that would fill up your fury gauge and you would turn into like this fury form, frenzy form. You'd get huge and like purplish pink and just go ham. Nothing could be blocked and yeah, those were fun. And you had items and stuff that let you instantly fill that bar up, which I used a lot during certain boss fights. I was like, pause, use item, unpause, <laughs> go yeah. into it. So it did do that right where I could pause in the middle of combat and use <laughs> items and as soon as I unpaused, the effects went immediately. Is there any equipment or anything that increased your defense, or was it just huge? You did have other armors, but the armors, uh, each armor really only affected the hollow. It made it do more damage, or you took less damage while in that form. Hmm. But you could change on the go to which armor you needed to wanted equipped. Yeah. The game itself was fairly linear. As soon as you beat Envy at the very beginning, as soon as the horse gets killed. Yeah. That's not much of a spoiler. It happens like right away. Right away. I think that's the developers trying to tell you, like, without saying their game is small, that's like, hey, you're not going to have a horse. So, reel in your expectations. And shortly after you beat Envy, you obtain, because she has it, because that's just how the story is written, she has the charm. Because in her mind, Envy was going to try to make herself stronger by absorbing the other seven with the charm. Ha ha ha. You beat her, you get the charm, and you absorb her. <laughs> but that charm... She just happens to have an item you need? Yeah. Well, it's the item that they were in. The, oh, okay. They were contained in when they were when they broke out. She just picked the item up because she... Well, I'm surprised she picked it. I'm surprised it wasn't like greed or somebody. But I guess she's envious. She coveted it the most, and she took it. 
And for all we know, she being she may have been the first one out. I don't know. They don't explain who came out first. But it gives you this compass that all you have to do is follow the arrow. And it points you in the direction of where you... And it's not super hopeful. It's just like, go that way. And I'm like, okay. And so I followed the compass arrow all the way to the end of the game. And somehow I skipped a boss. One of the... One of the... I skipped... Sins? Yeah. Because I, I, I jumped... Is the game not linear in that way? Does the story not go down a certain path of fighting certain the sins in a certain order? The key ones. Like, there's one you cannot fight what? until you have all the other six beat. Yeah. And I think you just, you're allowed to free roam. <laughs> down these corridors. Yeah. I end up skipping Sloth, which I, I was wondering the whole game, I was like, where is Sloth? He should be like one of the first ones I fought because he it's, he's sloth. He's super lazy. Yeah. And I just skipped him. Because as soon as you get your flame hollow, he's hidden behind some webs in one direction. And I went off in another direction and just kind of skipped him by accident. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how that happened. I had to go online and be like, what did I miss this guy? Mm-hmm. And they're like, uh, no, no one said it was a fairly common problem. They're just like, oh, go here. He's here. And I was like, okay. And yeah. I, I just somehow skipped Weird. past him. He, he was funny. Like I said, all the art is awesome. And, like, and it, the design of the sins. Oh, yeah. He's just, he's this fat cockroach <laughs> who gets his chair. He's so lazy that he's enslaved like these crab demons under his chair to move his chair around so he doesn't have to stand up. <laughs> sense. Uh, some of the cooler ones Gluttony was probably one of the cool He was one of the more difficult fights But he was probably one of the cooler ones Wrath was the uh, big dude in armor He looked cool but mad. Big anger guy Yeah. Pride was cool I enjoyed pride I'm trying to think. Avarice was a goat More of a satyr With yeah. a giant gold chest on his back With stuff falling out every time he'd jump Or he would during this boss fight, he would throw things at you. He would look at it to see how much you wanted it before he threw it. Sometimes he would put stuff back and throw other things. I was like, that's a simple, clever thing for avarice and greed. Yeah. see here. Um, I mentioned we're getting the spinoff. So I, Genesis, yeah. Because I read, if I think they're like, if we can sell, I think they were, kept their hopes low to like 80,000 units or something. And they ended up selling like seventy two thousand. Yeah, but they did not do well. So they they were going to make a Dark Sider sword if it sold so uh, x amount, but they're already doing spinoff. So I do I do hope we get a fourth one, and the fourth one is supposed to be all about strife. Yeah, that could be the first one. If 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 anybody watched the Genesis trailer, you'll see strife is the quirky one of the horsemen, the he, smart mouth. He's the so if there's a dark if there's a dark side, I mean I guess we'll play Genesis first but if, if there's a dark siders four then he might actually be interesting and funny for a change yeah because he he was definitely the funny because you there's a a cut scene where you, everyone comes back and she gets to have a brief talk scene with everybody I, and death is just kind of somber war is stoic strife is cutting up going what's up guys why don't you just laugh a little bit it was it was weird having him yeah having someone be chuckle worthy and like and all shatters. of this there was a, a pretty cool quote not cool quote but it was just like probably the probably one of the cooler cinematic moments that happened is someone's fighting her 
and they're yelling at her. They're like, where's all that anger and fury you're known for? Because she's fighting the boss, and she's like, it's way late in the game. She's had a very good self-actualization of what she is. And she's like, you don't need anger. She's like, I don't need anger when I have skill. And the dude gets real upset by that response. And it's a cool cutscene. It's the one I showed you. Chucks the weapon at her. And she catches it in midair, does a crazy Jackie Chan spin, and chucks it back at her and hits him right in the face. <laughs> don't really have a whole lot, because like I said, the story, I don't want to, for people who want to play it, I don't want to ruin the story and all the sins and stuff like that. Yeah. Ulthane comes back. He's the blacksmith from both 1 and 2. He's probably some sort of a mortal or something. He's a, he's a maker. There are a whole race of people. But he's kind of starting out. He actually has a place called Haven where he's shielding a small group of humans with fellow makers just trying to help people survive because he's yeah. a part of him being make, being a maker is he can't destroy anything. So he's trying to help humans so they can grow and recreate and make somewhere else. That's just yeah. part of what their race of people are. And near the end, Ulthane constructs something that helps you get away. We'll just say that much. And before Fury gets into it, she makes Ulthane promise. She's like, I now know that my brother War is innocent. Mm-hmm. If you see him, help him in any way you can. And he's like, you got it. Uh, he calls her Horseman. He's like, you got it, Horseman. He does a, a salute to her and then pushes her into the device that he's constructed because she's trying to stay behind and help him. And he forces her to leave. And that's just kind of a little how Ulthane knew so much about War when you meet him in the first time and never answers War's questions. Like, how do you know me? And I thought that was at least kind of a little, at least a, a tie-in that was kind of cool in reference. All the art was good. And all the voice acting was fairly good. I don't think I had too many complaints about anyone. All the art, voice, yeah. voice work was really good. Soundtrack? Nothing stood out to me. It was just standard. More than anything, the loudest thing I could hear were the monsters' noises. Yeah. Like walking around and stuff like that. I don't have much else to talk about. That's it. That's, it. That's good. Yeah. yeah so pretty, good, pretty good without spoiling anything. Yeah. As vague as I could be. Okay, we move on to our second game. Yes. The second game was vastly different from this, but it's also, I'll say it's as about family. There's a lot of there's family, family stuff in it. It's family about stuff finding the it. lost family and stuff like that. There's a, it's an odd game. Now, the next game is Forgotten Anne. If you've seen it anywhere on the PlayStation or Xbox, you've probably Im- immediately noticed the art for the game because it looks along the lines of a... Studio Ghibli or a Disney movie art style. The game itself is actually a just a side-scrolling game, like running and jumping and talking to people and solving puzzles. It has a pretty interesting story to go along with it, which right off the bat makes you think of the likes of maybe Pixar and stuff like that. You know, Pixar always has bringing things to life and stuff like that. Even though this isn't a a 3D thing, it's all 2D animated. But it starts with a uh, it starts as a pretty gorgeous little like opening of your standard metropolis city. People hustle and bustling on the ground, and then it zooms in on this dude's bedroom. He's he's getting ready for work, and he like leans down under his bed to like find some socks, and yeah. he grabs one of them and he bumps the other one, and then he, I guess he realizes he's like, oh well, I can't find it. Forget it, and he just throws the other one down, and then grabs a new pair and goes out the door. 
and the camera zooms in under the bed to see this little sock slowly wiggle and then the light fades in on it and it just gets sucked down into what the game calls the Forgotten Lands. Mm-hmm. And you see this sock, as he's falling down, he slowly starts... Becoming just, sentient? Yeah, there's a there's a literal... There's term, a word they use in the to apply human characteristics to a non-human item. <laughs> Personification, but there's Maybe. a... It becomes personified. Yeah. He gets eyes and has an attitude. And then, boom! He lands and then he... Just like you are, he's as lost as you are in this new world. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was a gorgeous opening CG for, like you said, like... Yeah. Just, it's just a hand. It's like an animated... I think it was a movie. Like Miyazaki-esque or just like a good Disney movie. Mm-hmm. So you come to find out where you are before you get to where you even meet the main character. Where all the lost items end up, they just fall to this other place and uh, they become sentient and then they go through, <laughs> they're all in a line in this process. It's all kinds of socks, lamps, briefcases, all these things in line and they go through this other item. I forget what, what she was, but she was giving them... I think she was literally a... Uh like a metal detector at an airport, people walking through. Yeah, and then she just tells you where to, you go to this place or you go to this place or you go to that place and to get a job because this is this is where you live now. This is this is your life. And so yeah, so she was just she was determining. There's a lot of real world stuff going on there. It's almost very like socialist. You're like, what can you do? Well, I'm a shoe. I'm I can hammer stuff. Okay, you're gonna go hammer stuff. Kick things and kick things and like it was very like you're doing this job forever you don't get another choice yeah but you also find out that the current ruler of your world has installed this sort of uh job system it wasn't like that prior until he came there until he came there and he saw that it was all disorganized and he he wanted to bring order to this chaos and put people where they could be useful Mm -hmm. that's what's his name uh master banku Dr. Bunku, he's the guy you, you meet pretty shortly as the as the opening pans around, and you eventually get where you're playing as the namesake of the game, Anne. Mm-hmm. And she's in a, a tower, cause, uh, which he has built. It's Master Bunku's tower, and he, she ended up working for him when she got there. Now, Bunku, he's a human, right? Mm-hmm. And then she seems to be a human too, or she is a human, I guess. Yeah. And he, so you get more. I'm not going to go through all the story, but you. I try to figure out as the story pans out why they're the they're the only humans you see there in the land of the, the forgotten. Only humans. Yeah, so there's a there's a reason why they're why they're both there, which is big time story stuff. So we, we won't spoil that, but you do you do play as Anne through the entire game, and she being the other human, he you know latches onto her immediately, and then as he builds all this stuff, he gives her her job, which what they call the enforcer. Yeah, they call her the she's a just so she's like pretty much Baku's right hand. She's sort of a I don't want to say a cop or anything like that, but she does go, and when there's problems, she is the final word in the yeah. solving of the problem. She, whatever laws there are... Uh, she enforces them. Exactly. As dumb as that sounds, and it's punny. Yeah. <laughs> but if there's any sort of dispute, if they don't figure it out and she's forced to get involved, people don't usually like the end result on either side. Yeah, because she has this d- device that Banku has built. What were they call it? They both have one. This, they call them distillers, is that they're called? No, it's called the Arca. The Arca, but it, it destills. But it destills, and destilling is pretty much uh, sucking the life out of these objects. <laughs> 
it's literally what it does and it pulls the life and you're able to pull this life energy out of other objects even not everything is sentient but there's batteries and other random things that have energy and then you can pull it out of that and you can put it into switches and other things like that open doors and For move switches puzzles. and move machines there's a lot of puzzles that involve having that energy on because it, it stores so much energy in the glovey thing and you use that to power things one of your other tools is a uh, set of mechanical wings. Which you need power to make them work. You can't work them unless you have Arca, you know, energy in your Arca. Yeah, that, those just give you a, you get them pretty early in the game too. They give you an extended jump, like up, and then a, a longer leap to the left or right, just for getting across bigger gaps and stuff like that. Um, the game does offer choice through the dialogue. I feel like maybe the game shouldn't have done that. We were following a guide because there's um, an achievement for a passive achievement. It's called passive. Pacifist. Or, yeah, because you're able to, when you're having conversations with people and you do meet some, uh, I'll say bad people, but there's a rebellion happening there's against a resistance group. A resistance group against Master Banku. And you do meet a lot, like all of them throughout the game, of course. And any, in any of most of these scenes and stuff like that, you can suck the life out of these people and they just die. Instead of listening to what they say, you, you just press X to go into your Arca mode. Yeah, and you and can you suck just, the life. Yeah. And that's why people are genuinely, most people you talk to or the other object, the other lost objects are. Are always scared of Anne as the enforcer so it sounds like throughout the story of her life before you take control she was maybe enforcing things in a more strict man. more strict way of maybe just flat out killing people all the time but when you take control of the game you have the choice to do it or not to do it and uh, we were playing just for achievement was a passive mode where she's nicer I guess even though I talked to Blake about beforehand she always even when you're making nice choices and not distilling people she's always extremely rude and passive aggressive to everybody she meets and I thought that was weird if you're trying to be a nice person I think it was just a maybe a fluke in the writing or a fluke in the the tone of the actress this is all voice acted, by the way. One of the huh. things I wanted to talk about, well, I guess um, I was thinking about one of the best references, because I read about it when people were trying to, like, early on in the game, how she's so, like, everyone's terrified of her, everyone's afraid. But as you're playing through in this passive mode, all your choices are decent, but everyone still is afraid of you. Everybody, everybody's scared of her, regardless of what you say. I can't think of a better, like, think... No, that, that's kind of spoily. I don't want to say that and spoil the game. Yeah. So I'm not going to say that. Never mind. I had a thing I wanted to say, but... Too big of a spoiler? Yeah. The main thing she's trying to do from the beginning of the game, what happens before, right before you take control of her, is there is an explosion. The Re Rebellion have had set up a coup or something like that, and they cause a bunch of explosions across the city, and she hops up and hops straight into action, and you talk to Banku for a minute, and he sends you on the, the job of figuring out who caused the explosions, who did it, and take care and take care of them. Bring them to justice. And bring them to justice. And that's the majority of the plot, is chasing down these people and stuff like that. There are some revelations in the late game which we don't we don't want to spoil because that's they are good it does get real i think i think it gets much more interesting once you be, get beyond the revolution people and the, and the stuff like that i think it becomes a real more interesting in the later parts and not that it's not good up until then because every little character you meet there's so much personality and all the all the little dudes you meet and stuff like that because uh, like drew just said because of these revelations that happen later in the game we feel like the choices earlier in the game, if there wasn't a choice, if you were forced to be, if the story made you be mean, mean, made you be this enforcer, made you be this intense, hard. It's mofo. like it's like 
I get a little wore out on every game being about choice these days. Why can't somebody just write a story and that be the story they wrote? Why do we always have to have to? People are always whining about having to have choice in their video games. I feel like this game kind of suffers from the choice. Like, if the later parts of the game, if you're nice the entire game, kind of like we were for the achievement, there's a parts of the game where just, like, have less impact because she wasn't mean or wasn't, wasn't distilling every rebel you meet. Yeah. And it's, it happens a lot. Is uh, it's not even a real choice. It's the illusion of choice. Where everything said and done, guess what? The story still has to play out the correct way in order for the story to progress. So why bother giving me a choice that doesn't affect the story at all anyway? Yeah, yeah. I feel like it should. We should have just played through. It should have been the puzzle solving, the exploring, and the cutscenes. Never should have been any choice. Maybe she should have been in the beginning of the game, running around just stealing people. Yeah. Willy nilly because that's the way she was raised. She landed there as a bait. Like Baku found her as a baby and raised her to be what he needed her to be. So yeah, and she knew nothing else. She's roughly, I would say, like a 16, 18-year-old. She's an yeah, older she's, woman. Yeah, she's a older now. I don't know. It just seems, given the choice, because you're given lots of lots of conversation choices. It's one or the other. Usually, it's A or B. Oh, it's always A or B, right? When you're talking to somebody, it's yeah, never. It's, yeah. So, it's just, but it just seemed kind of, I don't know, kind of arbitrary, considering what needed to happen, like Blake said later in the story, where you're, you're going to get there regardless of what you say to all these people. And I, I think it just takes away from the overall impact of everything. It's like the people that you do get the choice to distill, mm-hmm. they're not important characters. So it doesn't matter if they're alive or dead. It doesn't. It sort of matters. I mean, if people are alive or dead, it sometimes matters. Like the people... You think the char- like characters were written in a way that like the game wants you to distill them? Kind of wants you to, but even though we were, so we were playing passively, so we weren't distilling anybody? A little bit. Like, very few of the characters... Most of the... Most of the things you encounter, like your standard citizens that you're interrogating for information, we've seen, we've heard that rumors that rebels have been, they are terrified of you. Mm-hmm. Like, please so she, don't, she has a previously established reputation. Like, please don't just don't even force it. We, 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 we haven't seen any any rebels. Uh, maybe you try the bar down the way. They're, they have a, a, a colorful element that goes there. Like they're shivering in their... Yeah. The boots, the literally shivering, yeah, literally shivering, shaking, like they're terrified of her. But you spend but w- the way we played. She never acts malicious. I mean, she's a she's rude. Yeah, she's a brash, and maybe maybe a little entitled. I don't know. Just doesn't reflect her character all that well in the early parts. Like it kind it kind of balances out in the later parts of the game. But I just wish that there weren't choices. I, I wish the story just played out. Did you have any favorite inanimate object or favorite part? Well, easily I, I liked I liked uh, Captain Magnum, who is literally what he is. He's a Magnum and just happens to be the captain of the the police force, and he is enamored with Anne. Like, he thinks she's the greatest thing to ever walk the world. She's the bee's knees. Yeah, he wants to impress her so bad, and it's so funny. The way he talks about her, I enjoyed him quite a bit. There's a huge cast of characters. You're constantly meeting somebody new. Everybody's got personality. Like, it was... A uh, lot of work was it put into yeah, this game. Yeah, all different voices. I, I mean, who knows? Voice actors, voice actors are talented. But it seemed yeah. like everybody had vastly different voices and accents and the way they talked and everything. It was crazy. Speaking of voice actors, the... There's a kind of a cool thing because I kind of went through the roster of characters. Mm-hmm. There's only like six, six voice actors in the whole game. Wow, talent of voice actors because you you meet 30, 40 people. Yeah, like I'm and everything going... and everything's voiced. And the funny thing is, most of the six. I'm just gonna name off this quick list of characters. You have Anne, Bonku, Mister Fig, and Mister Bulb, who are like co-op leaders of the rebellion. Yeah, and then uh, Magnum and Caretaker. That's it, those six people. But in the whole game, let's see here. 
for Magnum, Fig, and Banku, this is all the first thing they did. Uh-huh. This is the only thing they've ever done. For Bulb, he did this and one other game where he was in Dark Souls 2 as the Man Scorpion Tark. That was it. For Caretaker, this game, and the main character for Turing Test, Sarah. Oh, really? That was it. Yeah, Turing Test. Man, that was boring. There will probably not be a... You can look up the Turing Test. That's a puzzle game that's It's not... It's it's a complicated game that's it would not translate well into a podcast. No. Like, like and, Turing Test. Oh, I'm thinking of Talos Pinchable. You're thinking Talos. Turing Test is like the, uh, the super weird one. Turing test is a term that where you determine with of AI is sentient or not like that. They don't what a Turing yeah. test. We're getting sidetracked. Yeah. But anyway. But Anne or the the person who voices Anne is uh, Rachel Mezer, and she's the only one who has a, a a list of credits. But it's only two years old. It's only 2017. It's as far back as it goes. Anne being one of the bigger ones. A few other ones. I for one I think I couldn't pronounce the names because it was Japanese names. They didn't put the English name on there. So some bigger ones is uh, she's in Forgotten Ends Anne. Mm-hmm. She is in One Piece Stampede as a character named Hina. Or Henna? I don't know, One Piece. Mm. She's in very popular anime going on right now, Goblin Slayer. Never heard of it. And then she is in Borderlands 3 as someone named Vic. Never heard of it. That's fair. <laughs> but, like, she's the biggest name, and her voice career only goes to 2017. Yeah. New people can always be fun, though. And the cast knocks it out of the park. As well as the pretty phenomenal voice acting, the music was amazing. Yeah. I don't remember it all in particular. I'm sure it played along well with everything. Well, I found out that it was the Copenhagen Philharmonic Orchestra did oh. all the music nice. for for this. And I don't, I didn't, I don't know if uh, the developer was. Oh, we, we should have led with the developer. Probably, do you say who the developer was? Uh, the developer is a Throughline Games. Yeah, and that's really all I know. <laughs> It's a very small company. Yeah, I think they're brand. This has got to be their one of their first games, if not their first game. Well, this game came out May 2018. It's a very new game. I yeah. think it might be the only game they have. Yeah, it's fine. I'd love to do more. If you're looking to buy or play this game after we, you know, after you've so enthralled with our talking about it, <laughs> it is available on everything, as far as I know, as yeah. as of today, it is available on everything, as well as uh, Windows, Mac OS, and iOS. Yeah. So it's also like it's not. It's a very not powerful game. It's a side scroller. Yeah. It's just all art. It's not. I mean, it's, not it's not stressing any kind of systems or anything. I don't feel like there is some. Uh, I don't recommend playing anything on iOS to be, to be honest, because of the touchscreen controls. I imagine this game would probably have. You know, they they got Recon Sync controllers now to the iOS. Besides a favorite character, did you have like a, a unique moment or a favorite moment? Some sort of cool puzzle or... Put me on the spot here. I have no idea. I have to think it's about a, it's a, what, a 10 or 15 hour game. Oh, we haven't talked about what Banku's trying to do. Oh, that's... That's kind of like the big story of why the re- re- rebels are going against him. Yeah. Banku has... Is it a rocket? It's a... He calls it a... a it's an ether bridge. It's ether... A, is this a rocket or was that a rocket something It's else? like a train rocket something. He's built this thing that's going to like... Goes off into the sky, which is supposed to take everybody back home to their owners. Not everybody. Yeah, not everybody. Uh, select people that he deems worthy or and or do him favors get these badges. Validation stickers. Validation stickers that you literally stick to their people. And if you do something good for him or he thinks you're worthy, you get validated. And you get a first in line on the one-way trip on the Ether Bridge. Oh, no, yeah, I forgot about the end of the game. It isn't a rocket. That's somebody in the rebellion who built a rocket. They think it just rocket off into the sky. And, yeah. He's built a machine that he thinks connects to the other side. 
he's built a machine that one of the things earlier about Anne having such a bad reputation is for distilling people. Her other prime thing she can do is if she's not going to distill you or set you free, you get sent to the plant. Yeah. And the plant is essentially a... There's a good story bit there. And basically you go to the... People who get sent to the plant are never allowed to leave and they can only help Banku work on building his ether bridge. That is their sole purpose in life now. Yeah. It's not a good place to end up. No. Love the art, love the story, music. I do have something, one part that I thought was kind of cool, mm-hmm. or kind of messed up, you know, when you look at it, is as you play through the game, every now and again, there's this uh, radio who, he's the news broadcaster yeah. for the whole system. His name's Ham, and he happens to be a ham radio. Of course, yeah. All their names of all the characters are pretty... Pretty spot on. <laughs> Respond to what they are. Just Cordy, and she's just like an accordion and stuff yeah. like that. You end up at his place kind of by accident because you're trying to get through his building to the next building behind it. Mm-hmm. But he freaks out. He's like, oh, the enforcer's here, everybody. Um, And he gives you, he kind of forces you to give an impromptu interview. interview. He asks you a bunch of <coughs> questions that don't mean anything that she gives one answers to. But then he strikes a chord with something that gets her to open up just a little bit and give her, like, she's like, Woodward answers, Woodward answers, and then gets kind of a, a significant answer. Well, he's like, all right, final question. Your wings that Master Bonk, because everyone knows what Master Bonk made him for. He's like, your wings that Master Bonk made for you. What does that feel like? How to be able to fly around? And she says, I like the feeling of freedom that they give me. And it's a real sincere moment. And he's like, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. You can be on your way. Thank you. And as soon as, like, as you're, if you stay just a moment, like before walking out the door, you stay a moment. He goes, oh, if you're just tuning in, we just had an interview with the enforcer where I asked her some riveting questions. And he, 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 the question he asks is, how do you feel about Bonku's iron fist coming down on the rebels? And he used, he had, because he's a recorder, he automatically cut his own response into where you just see, I like the feeling. Instead of, I like the feeling of freedom that it gives me. He, oh, he, he, he edited it or she sound bad. To make her agree with Bonku more and make more people afraid of her. And it was, a, I was like, that's super messed up. Yeah. Does he work for Bonku or is he just being a prick? I think both. He, I think he was validated because he was the only person, he, he's the news giver. He was the person who gives the news to people. Yeah. So I think he just was making Bonku look better and made people fear you even more after a, a sincere moment. He didn't ask that question. He asked another question and then edited the answer to what he wanted. And I was like, that's modern media. Yeah, exactly. That's what that is. I did read a pretty cool comment when I was going through trying to do some stuff. One of the reviews talked about the game itself and how the story, it says, it has a, quote, has a keen grasp on the fickleness of humans. Because mm-hmm. everything you encounter is just forgotten items. And it's like you said, it's so many things. Yeah, the whole world of it. Whole other world, is just cool. the trash that we forget and throw away and leave behind, and it, it was it was pretty. I like that comment. Yeah, and you do meet a lot of. I guess most have come to terms, but you, you do meet the occasional fairly sad or delusional item who thinks that they're going to get remembered at any minute now. Oh God! Like some of them was like a child's teddy or a baby's first blankie, and she and they can't wait to go back home. Yeah, there's some sad stuff in there. There's a thing that we haven't spoke on is these. Items do have a limited lifespan, and eventually they will, they call it crystallize, mm-hmm. when they just turn into, not even a crystallized version of themselves. I guess it means when they're permanently forgotten, like they're really gone, gone. Mm-hmm. And it's, di- it's different for everybody. Do you have anything else you want to talk about? 
for the uh, game. Man, there's it's it's heavy on the storyline and stuff like that on on Anne's adventure, so it's hard to do that without spoiling. Uh, so the gameplay so much literally is it's 2D. There is walking to the left and the right, jumping, platforming, flipping switches, moving things around. You do it looks really cool in the art. You do uh, can run, can walk into and out of the foreground sometimes. Yeah, it yeah. does look really cool. It's just you don't think about that kind of stuff when, when in art until you see it. So it's kind of hard to explain, but just walking in and out of the foreground with the art style looks pretty cool. I did love there's all not. The art. Yeah, yeah, the whole, the whole. I mean, that's that's what that's without saying the whole game is gorgeous. You haven't really seen another game. I haven't seen another game. We, and we play a lot of artsy fartsy games. It seems like on this podcast, as it as you could tell. Not we just that's not really on purpose. I guess we just stumble upon a bunch of these games or GameFly gives them to us. This game I actually bought because it's only digital, so I bought it for under ten dollars. Could be on sale on Black Friday for all for all we know. Yeah. Of course, this podcast, you know, we're slow to edit, so this podcast won't be out to another six months. But about Christmas, <laughs> Christmas this will be our Thanksgiving <laughs> slash Christmas episode. <laughs> The game is worth every. I think every bit of ten dollars. How long is it? Ten hour, ten hour, ten or fifteen. Ten or fifteen. Yeah, because it's pausing and like having to like maybe messing a few jumps and stuff. Yeah, it's yeah not there's long. collectibles and stuff like that. They can slay. collectibles are two things. One's automatic. Mostly it's diary entries to kind of recap sort of what just happened. I don't know why the game does that, but there's that achievement for those is kind of finicky. And then there's mementos, which are other items that just tell a little bit more story About of the, the world general world and stuff like that. So it's only two really collectibles there are. Uh, there's nothing too fancy about the puzzles because it's moving stuff and sitting switches and opening doors and stuff like that. There's no physics puzzles. There's no weight to anything. Everything is animated in a particular way. There's no... There's a lot of 2D games do. Like, we talk about Inside and stuff like that. The 2D games that have physics in them. Mm-hmm. This game doesn't have any physics to it. It's animated in a particular way that it's just... Everything is what it is. Is there anything else you think of about the gameplay more than anything? I think it would make a pretty awesome movie or even a, a limited series TV show. Yeah. I think it would be pretty cool to examine some of the further ideas and ideologies of this world. Yeah, it could it could be more, but nothing about the. I said gameplay, nothing about the gameplay. Oh yeah, no, sorry, <laughs> I, I heard game. I didn't hear the play part. Uh, no, and like you said, it's just side scroller puzzles, easy puzzles. Jumping. There's rarely anything where if you're not doing for achievements, there's never anything that involves timing. There's an, there's some a couple of achievements that involve. I, I did one for Blake because he was getting mad, but. Yeah. That involve racing this dude across these rooftops, which is really annoying because the game's not built for speed. No, so other than that, if you're just playing the game, there's never any stressful puzzles. I wouldn't say nothing ever involves you got to get there in time. There is some running from certain items. The, the what are those little things called? Well, that's only if you have Arca energy on you. The yeah. lost pieces. The lost pieces. Those, those are that's a strange. They explain that. We won't spoil that. These little things that chase you in the darkness. Those are kind of neat, but you got to run from those sometimes. You're not really sneaking past people. You're not really hiding or anything like that. You're just getting from one place to the other, exploring the. Who are you to sneak? You're the enforcer. Everyone's yeah. afraid of you. That's true. Yeah, there's no sneaking or anything like that. So, I don't know. It's definitely worth. I think it's normally twenty dollars. We got it for maybe half of that on the sale at some point. Definitely worth ten. Yeah, I'd say it's worth the twenty. To be honest, if you want to support the company, I just happened to see it on sale and like the like what the art looked like and stuff like that. So it's definitely worth the purchase. You'll, you'll get the good gameplay out of it. I don't think it'll have. I don't know if the, I don't know if, if trying to be nice on one playthrough and trying to be mean on one playthrough, it ain't gonna change the ending. The ending doesn't care which way you do things. I don't think there's not. Is there multiple endings? Mm, 
Yeah, there is. But you can, I think you can view them both as if the game's over anyway. Oh, really? Because it, really so. it does a, a gallery thing where you can watch all the cutscenes and stuff. Yeah. You probably, if you like it enough, play it twice. We get all the achievements. Now, I did I did mess up somewhere where I had a glitch in my achievements where I did play like two or three hours and I had to start over. Uh, Blake wasn't so unlucky, but I ended up had to start over and run through the beginning part again. I got all the achievements and I'm pretty sure Blake did too. I got everything. Yeah. Oh, reference back to that real quick. You did not get all the achievements in Darksiders because it had a bunch of difficulty achievements. Yeah. A bunch of difficulty and like collecting all these uh, like enhancement pieces and playing the game multiple times, new game plusing and yeah, nonsense. I'm not gonna. I died on story mode. I'm not even gonna consider of what happens yeah. on like insane or intense mode there so. on Dark Siders. Didn't 1K Darksiders. I didn't even turn on Darksiders because I'm not interested. I'm interested in Genesis. That's pretty much it. I mean, Blake will co-op that together. Forgotten Man is a fairly easy 1K if you're careful. I feel like I messed up a diary entry or something like that, or I messed up a something in the quick save messed me up. I don't know what it was, but there is a guide for Forgotten Man on TA, which will get you through the game just fine. I don't think... I feel like... Was that that guy that got confusing at certain points? There's a guy on TA recently that uh, the wording was kind of all jacked up and made it more made it a little harder than it needed to be. I don't know if that was, was that forgotten name or something. I think it was forgotten name because he tells you if you're going, no matter what, if you're going something in the background, no matter what staircase, no, 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 no it didn't matter. It wasn't even background, foreground. It was if it was going upstairs or downstairs. It didn't matter if it was in the foreground or background. If it was going upstairs, you just hit the up on the D-pad. Yeah. And if you're going downstairs, whether it's foreground or background, just hit down on the d-pad yeah and uh, it was pretty simplistic controls which yeah. made it easier to play too is that it anything else to say for forgotten Anne? Uh, i don't understand the um somebody mentioned somewhere that the name of the game forgotten and the forgotten is spelled wrong and yeah. there is a reason behind that i don't know if i ever caught on to the reasoning it's on purpose but forgotten is spelled incorrectly it's uh o-n instead of e-n and i, and I don't I, know it's a i didn't google it to figure out what it pertains to maybe somebody can Maybe I'll Google it after after the fact, and yeah, maybe, or maybe somebody can tell us what it pertains. You probably have to play the game. I think I had read it in the middle of the game or after in the game, and I was like, "Did I miss something? Why is it?" I didn't even think about it being spelled incorrectly. Yeah. Other than that, I don't know. Definitely play. I think it's cool. You know, we recommend the these odd games like this one. It's definitely worth seeing. If anything else, if you don't want to play it, I mean, if you watch it on YouTube, it's gonna be like watching a movie. Yeah. If the person, if you find somebody with no commentary just playing the game, it'd be kind of neat because it, it would literally play out like a. Like a 10 hour movie, probably. Good? Yeah. Good. Alright. I am going to do a, a band today, but before that, we want to do a, a little bit of a, a friendly plugging. We mentioned a while back that we had went to a release, uh, a movie premiere of our, our good friend Jeff, and that was, the movie was called Tennessee Gothic. You can actually buy that movie now. You can just go on demand. Yeah, so if Vimeo, you can watch it digitally or you can actually buy the Blu-ray. It's easily just, you can just Google the movie and it'll lead you. I'll get the link to it. I won't be that lazy. I'll get the link to and I'll post it in the show notes, but you can just Google Tennessee Gothic and where you can buy the Blu-ray will show up. The movie's a lot of fun. It's a, say, a horror comedy. People may, uh, there's a bunch of reviews out now for other places. People, you might hear weird things about the movie because there is a lot of, a lot of nudity and sex in the movie but there is a I'm gonna spoil it but there is a reason behind the nudity and all the sex and stuff like that it's part of the it's part of the plot besides maybe just being fun I don't know but there's <laughs> but there is a, a plot reason why there's so much so much of that in the movie it turned out being really really funny I didn't know uh, this is Jeff's third movie and I didn't know he had a comedy in him because his first two movies are not comedies in any way shape or form 
both those movies can be bought as well. The first movie, Blind, which him and his brother Steve made, who, however many years ago, wow, yeah. long, long time ago. And then uh, Jeff went on to make another another movie called Measure of the Sin, which is more of a art house kind of movie, real serious and kind of art house thriller. There is a thriller. She's trying really to escape. Yeah, trying to yeah. escape. That one uh, is a little heavier. Uh, Blind is more of a what would you call Blind? What like a supernatural cop drama. Supernatural? Not supernatural. Blind? Yeah, because he's seeing through the eyes of the dude. All right. Only saw. I only seen those movies once. I need to watch them again. It's a supernatural cop drama. Okay. Or so uh, those two. Uh, none of the movies are related, but then you get up to uh, Tennessee Gothic, which is that's definitely, I guess, a, a horror comedy. More on the, I would say, more on the comedy. It's definitely horror because there's definitely violence in the movie mm. and blood and stuff like that. But it's never the movie's not actually scary. But it's just more entertaining and just fun. Like it was just cracking up the cast. All the cast. This movie just really nails it. It was really neat to go to the premiere because we got to meet all the cast. Was at the premiere of the movie and stuff like that. So it was really cool to get to meet all of them and hang out with everybody. It was the first time I'd ever done a. Uh, a Q&A to a movie especially you, at the they, movie's they, world premiere that you just watched yeah it was the first showing of it here uh, here in Nashville at the Belcourt Theater you've missed that now too late sorry anyway while we were there on top of that we uh, happened to meet uh, one of Stephen Jeff's cousins uh, Chris and we were just just chit chat stuff like that. It turns out we he has a podcast. We had a podcast. We talked about podcasts for a minute and uh, ended up before us because we're jerks, I guess. They did because uh, I listened to their podcast. I started listening to the podcast. Blake is lazy and I'm trying to catch up on other ones before I listen to it first. Yeah, so, so but Chris and his friend Brad have a their own podcast called Business Casual Nerd. And I've been listening to it. It's it's a lot of fun. They talk about just nerd stuff. It's not. I mean, it's got they got the they do. Something they do that we don't do is technology. They do a lot of stuff on technology, and they cover some TV show stuff, which me and Blake haven't done a TV show yet. We need to do it because we've finished a couple of TV shows recently that I feel like are probably worth talking about for sure. But they do all that. They do some video games and all that fun stuff, and they just gab back and forth for an hour, hour and a half. But it's a good podcast. It's fun, easy listening, very casual, as is in the name of the podcast. And they toss us a little shout-out on their most recent episodes. I feel like it's only the right thing to do is return the favor. So that's business casual nerd and you can find that on any of the streaming services i we do google for us so it's on apple and everything else so find them listen to it you know share it write them a review on itunes yeah for all that fun stuff do all the cool stuff you do normally for all the podcasts you listen to and tell them that uh the guys at lockstock sent you their way and they'll appreciate that anything else for that no to all well, of you, our, you get, get listen to the podcast yeah. let's say to all of our hundreds of listeners head over there show them love yeah Every little podcast needs some love. And then um, after that, I will uh, want to wrap things up with a band. This is a band we've listened to for a long time. Unfortunately, it's a band that's no longer around. This is per my usual thing to do to attempt to keep from getting sued is uh, do bands that don't, no longer exist but still deserve to be listened to, I feel like. Definitely. But this band is hell of a villain. I absolutely love this band from the first time we ever heard them. They were doing a cool thing, not as extreme as Coheed and Cambria, but they were doing a album along with a comic book release we have that one issue they ever put out somewhere in this house i don't know where it's at but uh, they were doing a comic book along with it they had some music videos that kind of did used art and stuff from the comic it was pretty cool and it expanded the story and stuff yeah so uh they're a great 
great rock band. I, f- I feel like that they have a, a symmetry in their band that's kind of rare. I feel like there couldn't have been a better singer to fit with the band and the way the music flows with the singer. I feel like it's rare. Some bands just, they just have music and they just have a singer and things just happen. These, the music seems to play off the singer here and the, and vice versa. Like that everything just flows together so smoothly across all the, the whole one album we get out of these guys. They did uh, end up, as far as I can tell, breaking up. The singer had a wore out his vocals pretty hard and ended up leaving that band and a couple of years later it's been, it's been a long time a couple of years later he had thrown together another band called Six Side Die and uh, if you're desperate for more of his vocals maybe listen to that It to me it just I've listened to the album it's on Spotify both the Hell the Villain album and Six Side Die their albums are on Spotify if you're itching for more of his vocals you can do Six Side Die but there's a clear difference in flow and symmetry of a band like Six Side Die it just doesn't hold a candle to hell the villain in any sort of way no matter how good his vocals are they they just pale completely in comparison and i did find out uh looking at the band earlier that he is actually i can assume six side die is probably no longer around because i was looking at the bands earlier and as of november 25th 2019 that that singer brian crouch has been selected for the lead singer of a new band called bonds of mara or mara M-A-R-A. M-A-R-A, Mara. So that would probably be... I'll be keeping an eye out for that because I'm curious to see what else he can do even outside of this band. I honestly have never listened to Six... I listened to Six Side Die's album all the way through, maybe once. You know, it was just like... And then immediately switched back to the Hell to Villain album and listened to it ten times in a row because it's just a, a better album. Mm-hmm. Uh, without a doubt. They're a real cool band. I'd say support them, but there's no point. But definitely listen to the, the album population declining it's on spotify i want to play the song uh 16 cradles i always have a hard time picking a song but this song kind of encompasses a lot of what this band can do all together in one song the whole album there's not a bad song on it been kind of been around picking some of my favorite bands so i have very little complaints about some of the bands that i've been picking but this album is virtually perfect uh i don't think there's a bad song on the entire album it will be i'll get to a band at some point that has some songs that i don't quite care for yeah um, anything you want to add for this before i wrap it up um i just want to wish everybody a happy thanksgiving and a uh, good evening and good night because every time we do this on the end you act like you're going to say something different like you think about it for a long time <laughs> <laughs> and, then and, then, and then you say the same thing. I don't see his face where he actually thinks about like he's gonna thinks he's gonna say something different, and then he has his same little closing quote. It's pretty funny <laughs> to see. Sorry, that's maybe just a, a podcast inside joke that y'all didn't need to <laughs> even need to know about. Anyway, guys, uh, this will be out probably by Christmas. But uh, anyway, have a happy Thanksgiving and all that fun stuff. Enjoy all your good food, and uh, I'm gonna play the Hell the Villain, uh, sixteen cradles. <laughs>